Good morning again, everybody. Um, my name's Sean. If I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor, teacher pastor here for Redemption Peoria. <clears throat> Excited you're here. We are in the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to pray for our time here in a second. Uh, before I do, um, I want to let you guys know, so just something to keep in prayer. Uh, this morning, uh, John Demeter, he's uh, our executive pastor here. He came here this morning to set up. He's usually the first guy on, and he had kidney stones a couple years ago, and then this morning they came back out. But like a grown man drove himself to the hospital and just said, doctor, I got it. Said no morphine. No, I'm dead. just kidding. He's, he's taking morphine. But uh, anyway, you can pray for him. We'll pray for him in a second. Um, I want to I wanna, um, look at the passage. I don't want to read it again, what Abby came up and read. And then I want to pray just that God would open our eyes to this. If you're not aware, um, we've been going through the book of Ephesians since the beginning of the year. And the goal is, honestly, just to go through this thing verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We took a break last week uh, to have a conversation on citizenship and what that means for us. I know a lot of you guys had questions. Came myself and some of the elder, other elders just talking practicality of what do we do, uh, and we're working on things to, to be able to plug you in. There's lots of opportunities already in place, so if you have questions and you want to uh, engage in that area, then, then come let us know. But let me read this again. This is uh, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, thank you so much for who you are, for your word. We take a moment, as we do every week, just to pause and pray that um, whatever said from this point on would give you glory, would make you smile. Um, we don't want to come up with our own doctrines and man-made theologies. We really want to follow the person of Jesus, and we want to live by your law of liberty. In it, we find freedom, and we're thankful for that. We uh, pray for John as he's in a hospital bed. Um, man, just may this kidney stone pass quickly. Uh, be with him. Thanks for him and his life. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's, here's what we're doing. We've been doing the whole Ephesians thing, like I said, but I want to go back and I want to read verse 17. That is uh, two weeks ago. Uh, Jim was up here and he walked us through 17 through 24. And the reason I want to read it is because everything we're going to be talking about this week and the next four weeks hangs on what Jim taught, okay? So this is what it says, uh, going back all the way to verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Now listen to verse 21, okay? Assuming that you have heard about him and, uh, and were taught in him as the truth is in him, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and in, in true righteousness and holiness. Now, what I want you to see is I want you to look at verse 22 real quick. There's this language that Jim broke down for us that, um, honestly, I think Christians get this um, caricature about them, that there's kind of this holier-than-thou type deal. You just think you're better than I, but you think you're better than me because you don't do this and don't do this. And everything we're going to be talking about stems from these ideas. The fact that we believe as Christians at our core, man, we're not Christian because we're better than you. 
We just believe we're Christian because he, Jesus is better than both of us. And so we're following his ways and what he says to do. And so he demands of us certain things because of his goodness and his grace that we would begin to be shaped and formed into who he is. And so what the language that Paul's picking up on in Ephesians 4 is a taking off and a putting on, right? So you have dirty clothes on, take those dirty clothes. You come, up, come home from work. Let's say you're in construction. You come home from work. You take those clothes off and you put clean clothes on. Well, this is the imagery Paul's picking up on to talk to us about following Jesus Christ, that we had an old way of life and the desires that we had, though were real, very, very real, they were mixed up in deceitful ways. Like you thought you had right desires, but they were deceitful. They they, they tricked you. And so those deceitful desires led you down a path that ultimately Jesus is going, put those things away and follow me. And from this point, we're going to get the practicality. And this is, what's great about this is, um, when I was a youth pastor for uh, eight years, these are the things that you like work on early on, right? These are, we're going to get at what uh, John Stott calls the six concrete examples of putting on and ta- or, uh, taking off and putting on Christianity. Uh, and so I want to give you a couple of these examples. Let me show you, because there's going to be a um, kind of a rhythm to this. So verses 20... Uh, five, where we're starting, going all the way actually into the next chapter, there's going to be this language. Can you put up the slide where it sh- uh, starts in verse 25? Um, nope, that's not helpful. There's a whole other slide that shows this. But anyway, you can look at your Bibles and see it. In verse 25, 26, um, 27, 28, 29, there's going to be a rhythm to this. Okay, here's the rhythm. Look at your Bibles. In verse 25, it's going to tell you, therefore, uh, having put away falsehood, it's going to tell you to put away something. Then it's going to tell you to take on something. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. And then it's going to tell you why. And then I want you to look at verse 26. Again, what we're going to cover today. It's going to tell you, be angry, okay, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So instead of just being angry, don't let the sun go down on your anger because it gives an opportunity to the devil. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him, uh, let him labor doing honest work with his hands. There's something else we should do in juxtaposition of stealing so that uh, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now it goes on and on. So here's the rhythm that we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to cover two of these six concrete examples. We're going to talk about what the Bible tells us to put away as believers, what the Bible tells us to take on in juxtaposition of what we used to do, and then it's going to tell us why. Now, the majority of our time this morning is going to be um, spent on verses 26 and 27 in anger, but the, the theme that we're going to be covering, the two themes that we're going to be covering this morning is lying and anger. Lying and anger, which, of course, nobody has a problem with. I don't have a problem with. Um, So let's start in verse 25, kind of go through this. And the reason we're not going to spend as much time on this is if you remember about a month ago, we talked about truthing one another. A lot of this language is picked up. This is what it says in verse 25. This is Christian language. This is what Christianity and Christians have been called to in light of what Jesus has done. These are the behaviors we are to take on because our heart has been changed. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So we talked about this about a month ago, how we need to truth one another, which is we need to gospel one another. Matter of fact, look at um, verse 21 right before this. It says, as you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. So we're tr- constantly being conformed to the truth who is Jesus. We need to look at each other and go, hey, listen, here's what you're doing. Here's why it's wrong, because that's not the way of Jesus. Here's how you're acting, and here's why it's wrong. Not because I think so, or not even because you don't think so, but because it's not the way of Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to see. <clears throat> putting away, picking up the same language as putting on and taking off, but it uses this word falsehood in the ESV. 
The, the Greek word is the same for lying. Essentially, it's saying putting away lying. And I tried to process um, how we can get at the core of this because I don't think anybody in the room is going, yeah, like even if you're not a believer, you're going, no, totally cool to lie. Totally cool to lie. The thing about um, the way of Jesus and following who he is is he's so sneaky at getting at the heart of the issue. So he's not going to let you just get away with going, no, you didn't just outright lie. Like, hey, did you steal that money? No, I didn't steal that money. And you clearly stole that money. Hey, you didn't do this? No, I I didn't do that. No, no, there's sneaky ways that in our heart we're lying. So I made a list, right? Because I ain't trying to have anybody get out of the way and not feel conviction. Let's let the Holy Spirit do his thing, okay? So here, listen, there's a few things. And the last one is, I think, uber important for our context. So here's ways that I, I think I can see lying taking place in our context. One, exaggerating. Like something takes place and we make it a bigger deal than it was. That's a form of lying. The other opposite one of this would be minimizing. Now, ironically, we exaggerate or minimize to what is our best benefit. So if I lend you $4 and I go, hey, remember when I lent you that $4? Well, in your mind, yeah, I was like, yeah, you lent me a couple bucks. But if, if you lent me $4, I'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I borrowed five bucks from you, right? Like, or wait, vice versa. You get what I'm saying. Always it's like, uh, like, no, 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 you borrowed $5. Well, it was $4 technically. You would call it a couple bucks. I would round up to five, maybe 10, right? And so the idea is we exaggerate, remit, minimize however it benefits us. So there's, I think, a form of lying that we can see in this. Uh, so so there, there's two. Um, let me keep going because I have a couple more that I think are, are pretty important in all of this. Um, I think at times we play the victim when we're not. Uh, I think that's a form of lying, and I think that uh, needs to probably be dealt with. I think we blame shift a lot. I think that's also a form of lying. But then here's probably the biggest one that I can see. Personal, individual, social media branding. And I'll, I'll just say this. I'm not just calling out the women for the sake of the women. I see this in, in the women more than I do the men. Like, men are posting anything. They have their shirt off, hairy chest. They're like, what's up? Social media, what's up, Facebook? Right? The women, and this is, I'm just seeing it like, They'll get up an hour early. They're going to design their kid's lunch, a perfect smiley face, like cut out bread, put their makeup on, and they're like, hey, just got out of bed, um, made my kid's lunch, you know, and it's like, no, you didn't. Like, you were up at three this morning doing all that. Why are you fronting, homie? Like, why are you doing that? And the reality is we, now, listen, I'm not talking business branding. I think that's a, a huge part of your world and vocation is totally fine. But there is a persona that sometimes we, men and women, I'm just saying I've seen it more in women, that we give off that's just not true about us. Now, let me tell you why this is huge. Um, if you're not aware, there is a large section of Christianity um, right now, Christians specifically in the West, who are finding um, that they don't have a place in the church, right? And so they're calling themselves deconstructionists or whatever they want to call them. The, the big th- uh, thrust or the, the crux of why they're saying they don't have a place in the church is they feel like ultimately um, they can't ask questions or they can't be real. They, they can't present themselves who they are, that they're, they're broken and they're messed up. And, and what I find crazy about this is if anywhere... Like at the church, at the core level, the foundational level, we, we hear this rhetoric of like, well, you just need religion or you need Jesus because you're weak. And we almost go, no, that's not true. And I want to kind of go, well, yeah, it is. Like that, that is true. I'm telling you, like, I tried to do this on my own. You're saying you can. I don't believe you can. But, but I'm telling you, I tried to do this on my own and I couldn't. I found emptiness. I found void. I found exhaustion. I found loneliness, I found deceitful desires, and I need Jesus. And it's out of that brokenness that I operate. But for some reason, 
the Christian culture has like bought into this misnomer that like, hey, look, here's what I am. Like I'm, I'm all dressed up and I'm perfect. And, and it's like a highlight reel we're constantly seeing on these feeds, Christians and non-Christians alike. We're constantly seeing the best. Nobody's making the top 10 regular passes of Kevin Durant in 2018. And he dribbles up, passes it to Stephen Curry. Number nine. And he dribbled up and he passed it to Clay Thompson. Nobody's, that's not exciting, right? We're watching his dunks, his shots. Nobody's making highlight reels of the day-to-day stuff. And so I would just challenge you to be careful that falsehood, lying, can be caught up in this idea of presenting something that you're not. Because you know at the core what lying ultimately, why we're ultimately lying? It's one word, exposure. We're going to be exposed. You don't want someone to know what is really going on. Whether that be maximizing or exaggerating, minimizing, blame shifting, playing the victim when you're not the victim, or like individual social media branding. You don't want the world to see you for how you really are. And I'm telling you right now, that is what the world needs to see. They need to see our brokenness and our faults and to know we rely heavy, heavy, heavy on Jesus. Now it goes on to say this, which is helpful. So he says, speak the truth. Uh, which we talked about confronting one another. So the opposite of, of uh, this, all this falsehood is that we are to speak the truth to, uh, to, uh, with one another, which is important, right? Because what I'm not saying is, um, <laughs> so almost 20 years ago, it's crazy to say that, in 1997, a movie called Liar, Liar came out, by Jim Carrey. I don't know if some of you guys know this. Some of you don't, which is so sad. But in this movie, his son wishes that uh, Jim Carrey couldn't lie anymore. And es- essentially, it should not be called Liar, Liar, just be called like, say whatever comes to your mind. Because there's many moments in the movie where Jim Carrey could just not say anything and he wouldn't be lying. It's like, just don't talk, dummy. Like, what are you doing? Okay, but over and over, he keeps saying whatever comes to his mind and he doesn't have to say it. And I don't think that's part of truthing one another. I don't think that what has to do when he says, speak the truth, there's a cadence, there's a rhythm and there's a wisdom to all of this. So don't lie, but speak the truth. Now, this is important. With their neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, suddenly this command to speak the truth has an immediate context for us. It's not just in generalities, but it's for each other. Because here's the truth. When you're you're throwing out your Facebook persona, and I see it, I feel like I don't got it like that. But what what you have isn't really like that either. And so as a brother in Christ, I'm going, man, I I don't got it like that. And then you're watching me, so I feel like I got to one-up, and I'm posting my persona, and you're going, well, I don't got it like that. And, and, and in these moments, we're, we're lying to each other. We're minimizing, we're exaggerating, and this is not good. You want to know why? Because we're in this together. What we do with lying is create an autoimmune disease. We, we, we create this, an autoimmune uh, disease is essentially something in your body that is, your body's believing a lie. It thinks something inside your body is not supposed to be part of your body, and so it attacks itself. And so what we do is we lie. We create this autoimmune disease because the body's believing something that's not true and we end up attacking each other unbeknownst to ourselves. So the first thing that we need to put away is lying. Like this is like what we're telling our kids. Let's follow our own path. Let's follow the things that we're telling them. And we need to take on truth because we're in this together. The second thing of the six, again, this is where we'll spend most of our time, is anger. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So there are three words in the Bible for anger, okay? Um, And they essentially mean the two, two 
of the same things. One idea is like an agitation or a boiling over, and the other word is like a, a passion or an energy about it, okay? Now, what's interesting is what you see here is when it says this, uh, be angry and do not sin, there's this, it's an imperative. It's telling you to be angry and do not sin. Um, and I think this is important because this imperative is passive, meaning this, um, anger's coming your way. You're going to get angry. And here all, this is all at the core what anger is happening, what this frustration is taking place. Something is happening that you don't want to happen or something is not happening that you want to happen. And so you're frustrated. And we all have these moments. Everyone's got the story. Let me share one of mine. I'm 17 years old. I just got this super dope job that I get to drive around all day long. And I'm, uh, I got a half day because I'm a senior in high school. And so uh, I get this job essentially where working for this guy who makes teeth and delivers them to the dentist. Okay, you know, when if you get a, a mold made up, he makes these teeth. And this is the best thing ever. I get paid to drive around, right? So he's like, hey, dude, I need you to be uh, to so-and-so in 15 minutes. And I'm in like the Northeast Valley. I need to get to the West Valley in 15 minutes. So I'm like, no worries. I decided to take, if you know the roads, if you don't, this story is going to be super confusing to you. But uh, I end up taking Deer Valley down and I want to get on from Deer Valley. I want to get on to the, the 101. Problem is, as I get off on Deer Valley onto the 17, I think I can loop right onto the 101. No, no, no. It doesn't allow the exit. So I go right onto the 101. I'm pretty frustrated that I'm not on the 101, but that's fine. I'll get off on Union Hills. So I get off on Union Hills and I flip around. Guess what? Union Hills doesn't connect to the 101 either. Okay? So I turn around, I get off on Union Hills, and I'm very, very angry at this point. I'm driving under the 101 again, and I think to myself, okay, God, it's church night. That was, I, was, I was youth at the time. I was in, in the youth ministry. You don't want me to do this? Fine. I won't go to church tonight. That's fine. Like it, okay? So I drive. Okay, I'm driving, then I get on to the next one, Happy Valley. At this time, Happy Valley wasn't all the way open, okay? So I get back on, I veer around, and I can't get on to the 17, so I gotta take the frontage road to Deer Valley, which FYI, doesn't get on to the 101, okay? I'm so mad, and I cannot tell you the colorful language at 17 years old that I was using before the Lord. I was so mad. So I know for sure Bell connects. I know if I can get to Bell, I know for sure. I get on to Bell, all right, I get on to Bell, I turn around, and of course the exit is closed. Okay, so now I'm like, I've decided I'm not going to church. I'm not reading my Bible anymore. I'm not praying. Forget this whole deal. I'm going to be late. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. Now here's the deal. You can laugh, but if that day hasn't come for you already, what this passage tells us is it will. The fact that it tells you to be angry in the passive imperative means, hey, guess what? It's coming your way. You don't have control of the fact that anger, which is part of the brokenness of all that we experience, is coming your way. So much so that the NIV and the NLT says this. Listen to how they translate this. In the NIV it says, in your anger, do not sin. In the NLT it says, don't sin by letting your anger control you. It's putting the imperative together, which is to say this. Anger is coming. Now, we're going to talk about a righteous and an unrighteous uh, version of anger in a second. But anger is coming. The issue is not the anger. The issue is what you do with that anger. And you choose to sin out of that anger. And this is what it's saying. Anger is coming your way. Don't let it control you. Anger is coming your way. Don't sin because of it. Now, what it says next is helpful in getting at this. So don't be angry. Uh, Be angry, but uh, do not sin. Uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
So here's a way, instead of being angry, here's what you can do. Because it's going to come, because there's no control. Like, you're going to be angry at some point, some more than others, granted, okay? Candace gets angry probably a hundredth of the time than I do. I'm angry about everything. So, I, so instead of me being angry, what it's telling us in this moment is don't let that anger still exist by the time the sun sets. Now, it's not legalistically going, you can be angry, you can be angry, you can be angry. All right, sunset, I'm good. Okay, that's not what it's saying. You, you miss the text and going, fine, I'm going to be angry until 7.15 tonight when that sun sets. No, the point is that you would not ruminate and you would not let this boil over and over and over. You want to know why? Listen to this next section. I love this. Um, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, and here's why. And give no opportunity to the devil. So, so here's why this is important, that you would not let it sit, because you want to know what we've been called to do as brothers and sisters in Christ, is to reconcile it. If, it, if your anger is coming out of something that is between us or between someone else, reach out and you're frustrated, and believe me, do, believe me. If, in, if you were going to tell me, hey, you just need to reconcile this, and I'm driving under the 101 for the fourth time, which by the way, I eventually made it, I had to drive to like Flagstaff to make my turn, Okay. <laughs> But, but whatever, whatever, whatever's causing that, and you're going to tell me that, believe me, I'm not in a place where I want to hear it. I get it. But what I'm telling you, if you let that sit long enough, you give an opportunity. Now, this is what's interesting about this word opportunity. We hear opportunity as almost like a, a chronological time frame. There's a, a time frame. But everywhere else in the Bible, this word, uh, where we get our word actually typology from, it means place. It's literally defined or translated as place. You give a location for the devil to sneak in and use it. So you're angry and you're ruminating and that is coming. That day is coming. But if you don't choose to work through that and you sit on it long enough for a long period of time and you choose not to work through that, hear me, I'm not trying to be over spiritual. The devil's going to use it. The devil's going to use it. And so when it says, again, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down uh, on your anger. And here's why. And give no opportuni- opportunity to the devil. Um, I think I want to stop and I want to ask a question in all of this. Why is there anger then? Because here's what's a trip. I don't think per se that anger is a part of the fall. Like it's clear um, that scripture, so we're going to see in a couple weeks that um, we need to remove anger. And then yet in chapter 5, we're going, to, we're going to be told that God, because of anger, his, in his wrath, he punishes the sons of disobedience. So in, in certain moments, it tells us to remove anger. And yet in a passage like this, it tells us to almost embrace it. So what are we supposed to do with this like, whole deal of anger? And so here's what I want to do. Um, I want to do my best to, to put in front of you why anger exists. Because I do believe um, that there is not just an unrighteous or a, a righteous way of thinking about anger, but I think anger is a God-given emotion in this age, in the brokenness in which we experience. Meaning, here's what anger does. Anger creates something in, within you that you otherwise didn't have, whether that be adrenaline, passion, energy, to solve a problem. Right? So, so um, there's a good form of anger, uh, anger like this is low-bearing fruit, very easy, right? When you see the injustice of the world, this is what God is doing. He gets angry at the injustice of the world. You and I should see the injustice of the world and go, that is not okay. Now, now stop. Be in that for a second. That's good, right? God has allowed that anger to exist, and he's giving it to you in that moment, you to operate in that, that God operates in that same type of anger to get something done. 
It's good, it's healthy, and it's okay. But what you do in getting something done is where it becomes problematic. Because then you want to get something done your way instead of the Lord's way. So let me give you two examples um, that we can see in Scripture. The first one is directly after Genesis 3. Right after Genesis 3, the world is broken. We get this story of two brothers, Cain and Abel. Let's read it. And then we're going to read the famous story of Jesus flipping over a table. I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't read John 2, that Jesus flips over a table and is angry so we can all feel justified about flipping somebody off on the freeway. Okay, um, Genesis 4. Verses 1 through 8, this is what it says. Now Adam, and Eve, uh, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the, uh, the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Stop real quick. So here's Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, brothers together. Cain ends up bringing up his offering, which is like fruit, vegetables. He's working the field. And then Abel brings up his offering, which he works with the sheep, the goats, whatever. And he, he offers his offering. The Lord looks down onto Abel and he goes, I like this offering. I appreciate this offering. Now, it's important to know, we're not told in Scripture, though we assume sometimes that it was because it was the animals and not, no, there's something going on in the heart, apparently, that we're not aware of, that God looks down and he appreciates or looks upon uh, Abel's offering with more regard than Cain's. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and it desires, or, and its desires contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Hear that language. Listen to what he's saying. Ken, why are you so mad? What's upsetting you right now? Why are you so upset? If, if you would do well, wouldn't I accept you? Like, aren't you going to be accepted? Why, you can do something about this. Why, why resort and sit in anger? And then listen to the language. If you sit on this long enough, just know sin is crouching at the door. It's waiting for you to sit on this anger long enough so it can just pounce. What, what's wrong? And so what Cain does is he takes that anger, that passion, that energy, and he does something about it. He does something about it. But what he chooses to do with that anger is sin. So listen to it. You know the story, right? Verse uh, 7. If then you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. It's crazy to me that the first sin we see in the Bible after Genesis 3 is anger. It's almost like built into the DNA, the fabric of something is happening that I don't want to happen. I need to do something about it. And all too often, 99% of the time, we are doing something about it because it's affecting us. Which leads us to the second passage in John 2. This is the story of Jesus. Verse 13, going through 17, this is what it says. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people... Selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. 
So he made a whip of cords and drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. So those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Listen to verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That word zeal means like, like a hot to the touch. It's like what you would prod someone with. He's superheated. And he's heated over something. He's super angry about something uh, that isn't, isn't on him. Like this is different from Cain and Abel, right? He's seeing an injustice on behalf of the Lord. And so he does something about it. But I need you to smell the story. Be in the story. Here's Jesus. What's his facial expression like? He sees it and he's upset. Now we read, this is what's crazy to me. We read the beginning of verse 15. So we made a whip of cords as if he sees it, walks out of the room and comes back in with a whip of cords. No, no, he made a whip of cords. So he's mad and he goes over and we're talking like 30 minutes, you guys. They want to sell something? Okay, yeah, 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 we'll sell something. Okay, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's not like he was angry and then just reacted. This dude's sitting on it for a little bit. It takes a little while. Like, he's tying these cords together. When he comes back in, he had his space. When he comes back in, he's not any happier. He flips over tables. He gets all the cattle out. Now listen, he does something, and we're not saying activity is the sin based on the anger. Again, Activity, movement, motivation, these are good things that can come out of anger. But this is what's amazing about Jesus. I mean, so amazing. And God the Father, for that matter, in being for his glory and ultimately what is um, the purpose of mankind that we would glorify God, he knows and recognizes that when we choose sin, we're choosing something counter to our humanity. And and God over and over, I mean, countless times in the Old Testament, gets so angry, not necessarily because the people of God um, are sinning and it's like, well, now they're going to get an STD. Like, that's not the issue. No, but, but, but they are sinning against who God is and his glory and his name, and they're defaming who he is as his people. And hear me, in love, that's not what is best for them. And so he's irate over the fact that sin is pulling his people away from him. And this is what Jesus is so upset about, that we take these moments, we take opportunities, and we sin, and Jesus is upset about this. So here's, let me read something. Um, At the beginning of 2019, we're going to go take all the way up to Easter. We're going to study the Gospels, and we're going to study the person of Jesus. And we're going to use a book, um, not just using the book, but there's a... um, a book by a guy named Paul Miller that Jesus walked amongst us. And uh, we're going to use this book to kind of guide the person and look at the person of Jesus. I want to read just a quick thing from that book because I think it's super helpful uh, in seeing this. This is what it says about Jesus. Remarkably, Jesus never gets angry when people hurt him. Because he holds onto his time and schedule so lightly, he doesn't get irritated at being interrupted. Because he owns so little, he has little fuel for the fire. Yet he gets upset with injustice and hypocrisy and others when compassion is blocked. His anger is centered on others' welfare. He also gets upset with anything that inhibits faith. The disciples block the faith of the little children. The money changers block the faith of the non-Jews. Jesus gets angry at anything that prevents love to people, which is compassion, and dependence on God, faith. So here's what I I would love to do. When that moment comes, as we're told, you're going to be angry, but to not sin in it. How you react, yes and amen, is the sin. But here's here's what I want to encourage you to do. Um, Be there for a second. 
don't even pretend you're not angry because you are. The Bible told you you will be angry. But try to do, do yourself a favor and like all emotions, try to get behind what's there and ask, why am I angry? Now, in the moment when you're angry, I promise you don't want to do this, okay? No one wants, why am I angry right now? You're just angry, right? You're just angry. But as time goes on, why did that make me mad? Why am I so angry at that? And there's always going to be two things, two things. It's either about you or it's not. Something was an inhibiting, blocking, stopping what you wanted that benefited you. That was about your world, your agenda, you getting upset that something's going to happen. People may perceive you in a wrong way, whatever it is, or it's not. And I promise you, 99.9% of the time, when that injustice happens to you and you're upset because it's not benefiting you, it's unrighteous. You're operating out of a a really, really terrible place. So I want to encourage you for these first two things. Lying and anger need to be put away. But here's what I want to do. Can I have Stephen come up? Maybe the band come up as well. I'm going to pray in a second. And um, we're going to do something that might feel a little bit odd. And that's okay. Um, We're going to meditate. Yes, don't worry. Meditation does not belong to Eastern cultures or New Agers. Um, Our brothers and sisters in Christ have been meditating for two millennia. Um, And we're going to sit for a minute, like five minutes. And here's what we're going to do. Um, I want to read section after section after section of scripture. I'm going to read these verses. I'm not going to give the addresses of the verses. And we're going to sit and meditate on texts that refer to anger. Now, here's what I would hope takes place. That as A.W. Tozer says that you would be hot-hearted and cool-headed, you would know that anger is going to enter in, but there's a wrong way to see this anger, and there's a right way to see this anger, and there's a wrong way to take that anger somewhere, and there's a right way to take that anger somewhere. And so I'm going to read these things, and my prayer would be that the Holy Spirit, as we sit, and we're just going to sit, right? We're, I think Stephen's going to play for a little bit. We're going to sit, and I'm going to read these texts again and again. I'm going to read them slowly, and I want you just to sit, and what God does— with these, I, I made a list of 20 verses. There's a lot. I had to buckle this down from about 50 to 60 to about 20. 20 verses that I want just to sit over us as a congregation on anger. Now, I know you may not believe this, but I am, if there's a, a sin that I have, it's definitely anger. Like, I get angry really, really easy. And as I did this exercise last night with myself, just sitting over, letting these verses, going through these verses... I realize so many things that the Bible speaks to in areas of anger that I need to hear. My prayer is that that would be the same. Then I'm going to read, as, as I'm done with reading those verses and we sit, I'm going to read Romans 5. And the reason I'm going to read Romans 5 is I want you to listen to the cadence of what Romans 5 says. It talks about us being justified because of the work of Jesus. So you're going to walk out of here and you're going to hear language on lying and anger. And you're going to go, I need to stop lying. I need to stop with unrighteous anger. But check it out. You won't. You won't. You will fail. You're going to get angry. You're going you're to believe a false narrative and you're going to lie. You'll fail. But to walk out of here and not remember the work of Jesus Christ, remember the fact that he succeeded in anger. He succeeded in the areas of lying and falsehood. He succeeded in the areas where we fall short all the time. Then we can rely on who he is. And then it's going to go from there. In Romans 5, it's going to go to the fact that we're going to go through struggles and tribulations, which should cause frustration, which cause you and I frustration. But in the end, God is doing something in those things. So I'm going to take that time. We're going to be for a little bit and just sit. 
And then I'm going to read these texts, go through Romans 5, and then I'll pray and then we'll respond corporately and I'll walk us how to do that, walk us through how to do that. Let me pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness towards us. Thanks for Ephesians 4, 25 through 27. You tell us to not sin in our anger and that anger is coming our way. Frustration is coming our way. We have ideas of the way the world should go and it just won't go that way. Be with us as we sit for a little bit on your word. We pray that you would convict us, that you'd bring us faith. So it may feel awkward for you, but keep your eyes closed. Don't be afraid of the silence. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a wise man overlooks an insult. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. A quick-tempered man does foolish things. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a wise man calms the quarrel. Better a patient man than a warrior. Better a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. man of knowledge uses words with restraint. A man of understanding is even tempered. Sit there for a couple minutes, think through them, halfway through. It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. An angry man stirs up dissension and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. Listen to the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. 
into the juxtaposition of anger. Love is patience. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Let your gentleness be evident to all. But now you must rid yourself of all such things, things of these, anger, rage, malice, slander. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. And finally, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Sit for a little bit. What's God saying to you? It's his word over and over. Those were his words over and over. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now listen to this because we're going to fail. Listen to this. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were angry, while we lied, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Sit in that goodness for a little bit. commands and thank you for grace 
believers in this room right now are compelled by your word to fight against the things that wage war against our souls. The false narratives that we will take care of a situation, we will demand justice, we will get it done. As believers, help us fight that Holy Spirit not to believe those lies. Jesus, thank you for your perfect example. May we be so angry at the injustice of the world, but may we at the same time think of ourselves as not greater than we are, but to think of others as more important. We love you. Thank you for your good grace that when we fail and when we fall, it's nothing new to you. You had died for us in the midst of our sin. Your grace and the justification that is in it is in the midst of our sin, our sanctification, our continued growth towards being a true image bearer, God, in Jesus Christ, being formed into who you are, is found there. And thank you so much for it. Thank you for your grace. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.